0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. You
1: have your Bibles. I'd like very much for you to open them right now to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Well, that's a letter. That's an epistle. Paul is writing a letter. And in this particular letter that he's writing, he is now coming to its conclusion, and today we're going to conclude this particular epistle, or the letter that Paul has to a group of people that he loves so much. He loves them so much because he really had the beginning of faith for them with him, and so it was a time of really growing in grace. It's also because this letter is ending with what we might want to call a thank you note. Those of you that also have supported missionaries or at some time requested missionary letters to be sent to you or emailed to you, you know how those letters keep coming in. Well, this is a missionary, missionary Paul. He happens to be at this time stationed by God in in a prison, in jail, and he is still writing back to those who had supported him. And so I call this message today one of God's greatest promises. And it's ending this message after many messages that we've covered already. If you recall, we've studied such things as how to have joy in our lives and how to pray more effectively for others and how to handle difficult situations and what is involved in being changed and the joy of winning and not whining and how to stay joyful after you already have that joy in your life. And then finally, the game plan for relieving stress and learning to be content. But today's message is a little bit different because now Paul is turning the tides a little bit, and he's expressing how he has solidarity with the people that love him and supported him so much. So it's expression of his grateful spirit. But he's also giving a bit of accountability, letting them know that he did receive from them that which uh, they had sent his way, and so it's a special time. And I call it one of God's greatest promises because of verse 19. When I was in Bible college, as I shared with you weeks ago, that often people would put their favorite verse on their Bible next to their name in gold. And Philippians 4.19 was a popular one because it said, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches by Christ Jesus. And so I want you to know that that's a great promise. And I think about that. If that's a promise of God that He's going to supply all of our needs, then why aren't all of our needs maybe being met? Why do you see some Christians out there, good Christians that might be struggling a great deal? Does that mean that this promise is invalid? Does that mean that God is a liar? Does that mean that this is not exactly true? Not exactly. There are some reasons that it might not be happening. You see, in the Bible, we have what are known as conditional and unconditional promises of God. An unconditional promise of God is one that he just says, this is a promise. It's unconditional. It was interesting because there's a promise or a covenant that God made way back in the book of Genesis. Remember when he said that he will provide a flood no longer that will wipe out and judge the world? And that was a covenant. That was a promise. And he sealed that promise by putting a rainbow up there. Well, this last Thursday night, it was so exciting to watch some of our young men that are growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord discover that truth. And really, it impacted his life because his dad gave him a brand new Bible. And he said, I'm reading the Bible twice a day now. And he said, look what I learned here. And all the men celebrated with him. That's called an unconditional promise of God. No matter what, I will no longer judge this world with a universal flood like he did. Now, this passage is part of a whole litany of promises that are called conditional promises. In other words... God says, I will do this if you do that. Sometimes he'll say, since you did this, I will now promise to do that. And this particular principle fits into that category, that if we certainly follow a premise, then the promise is activated. So it'd behoove all of us to say, all right, if that's true, God made a promise, but it's built upon a premise, then what is the premise that I need to understand so I can receive from God that promise that he made? And if you follow along in the entire writing, it'll be easy for you to see that built upon Promise on a premise. So, if you will, why don't you follow along with me for a moment here? We'll look at number one, the premise. The premise is I must give, and then we add in this passage to those that are in need. Obviously, we need to give, but God says we're to single out the giving. We give unto the Lord, but particularly those that are in need according to this context. So, that's the premise. That's our part. That's what we do. A lot of people like to claim verse 19 where it says God will supply all of our needs, but they won't want to do verses 14 through 18. And so we have to see that they fit together. So if we're doing 14 and 18, and we can just rest assured that God will do verse 19, supply all of our needs. Let me show it to you in the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs in two sections there. Look at it, if you will, in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 3. Here it says, honor the Lord with your possessions. Now I want to stop there for a moment. All of us, I would hope now, have come to a point in our life to realize everything we have has been given to us by God. He either gave it to us or gave us the energy to work for it or he gave us an opportunity to receive it. We talked a lot about how we would receive our resources. But once we have those resources, they still don't belong to us. We're just managers of it. And so here it says, honor the Lord with the resources that he has provided for us. So in your mind right now, I want you to think of every hard asset that you have. Those would be things, anything from a television, iPod, home, car, to liquid assets, which would be finances or money that you can put your hands on, that you can turn into a hard asset. And so those are resources that God has given to you. And God says... You're to honor him with what you have. And so now it might be good for you to do a little inventory. What do I have that I actually own that I shouldn't own that is not an honor to him? And I'm not here trying to decide what that is for you, but there may be things that you got in a proper way or that you're using in a proper manner or things that are just not of God. Maybe pornography would be a good first illustration of that. So you might want to glean through that. If not, then for a moment, step up and say, All right, now I recognize everything that I have. The clothes on my back, the place where I sleep, all of these are resources, and I'm going to honor God with them. So now, privately, you go before the Lord and say, Lord, now that I see this belongs to you, show me how to honor you. I want to fulfill that verse. But now the rest of the verse says, because God says, Not only am I already given you resources, but you're going to get more. And he says this, And with the first fruits of all your increase... So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So bottom line is this. You honor him with what you have. You honor him by giving back even more what you get future. And he says, and my promise to you is I'm going to provide for you. All your barns will be filled and your vats will be filled. So it's a premise. The premise is you do this and I'll do that. Look in Proverbs 11.25. It says the generous, can you follow it? The generous soul will be made poor. Now, that's the secular worldview. They think that the more you give, eventually, you know, you're going to be the poor guy. And the Bible says, no, the generous soul, the one that starts with the soul, not just with the resources. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Would you like to hear that again? The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so that's what this is saying. The generous heart, the one that already has it in their heart to give, will be made rich. And he who waters, that's the actual part of it, the the outward of the inward, will also be watered himself. So there's a premise, is that when we first give to those in need, and we're saying, Lord, we're giving because this is the right thing to do, they're your resources to start with, then we can rely upon God taking care of our needs. Well, there are three reasons that we can give, and we're going to go back to the passage in Philippians and learn those. There are three reasons why I should give, according to this passage. Now, there's a lot in Scripture about giving, but in this passage, there are three good reasons. Number one, others are encouraged when I give. In other words, when I choose to take what God has given to me, knowing that God will replenish it, but I'm giving it to others, especially those that have a need, they'll be encouraged. And I'll be encouraged. Let's follow along as I read the verse to you, verses 14 through 16. Here's what it says. Paul is writing back to the people that have supported him. He said, You have done well that you shared in my distress or afflictions. Now, Philippians, you know also that at the beginning of... Of the gospel, the preaching of the word. No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even Thessalonica, when I was there, you sent a gift, but then you did it again and again for my necessities. It's kind of interesting how that happened. If you will, maybe look up here for just a moment. I'd like to speak to those that are missionaries. And maybe those of you that someday God will call into the mission field. There's something that as I went over this passage over and over again, I, I spent a great deal of time personally meditating on that. In a sense, I'm a missionary. Maybe I'm a pastor and you do take care of me. But there is some other support that comes in. And here's what I thought was very interesting. As I read this passage, the, the, the whole book. Of of Philippians, the whole letter. Never once did I see that Paul was writing, giving a list of specific, tangible needs that he had. He never said, I need food, I need clothes, I'm in this prison, the government of Rome will take care of me, so please send somebody to provide some medicine for me, or anything for that matter. He didn't say, would you go take care of my aged mother? He, He expressed no needs. There was not a prayer letter of specific, tangible needs. And so then I'm over here and I'm thinking, well, then why in the world did the Philippians just dump all this stuff on him again and again and again? Even when he was in another city of Thessalonica, they did it again. Why did that happen? And here's the conclusion I came to. I don't know if you'll come to the same logical conclusion. The word shared there is a word in the Greek that we would get our word fellowship from. Now, it's a much longer word, but it is the word fellowship. If you go back into the passage, you're going to see the word no church shared with me again, receiving and giving, giving and receiving. The same word fellowship. It's of the same root Greek word. Now stay with me on this. What I'm suspecting is this, is that the Philippians so well knew Paul and what Paul was going through that they were fellowshipping with, according to context, his distress, his afflictions. And this church was of a spiritual maturity level that have already gained some insight about taking care of the needs of others. And they said, just like we're suffering, Paul must be suffering. And if he's suffering and he can't get any help, like we can kind of share one another here as we go to our backyard barbecues if we have a particular need, he can't do that. And so they said, he must have a need. So anticipating, assuming he has a need based on their maturity of assessment and discernment, they said, we're going to provide for the need that he had. Now, how do I translate that into a missionary? Perhaps it was because Paul had a relationship with the people of Philippi. In this case, we could maybe more simply say he had a relationship with givers, givers general, givers specifically now to him. So maybe missionaries, while they think so much effort is placed in their missionary giving letters, asking, requesting, they would spend more time building relationships. And I don't know that it would be inappropriate to share a need that you might have. Share what you're experiencing. Share the things that are happening in your little corner of the world. Let them know. Find out what those people at Philippi are going through as well so that when you talk story with them, that it's not just distant people getting a monthly letter that only we know what we find in the letter, but there's a relationship. It's not fundraising. It's friend-raising, so to speak, that's going on. Then should the church be mature enough, and that would be our job as pastors to this church, to help grow you through the word, help you model it and mentor, that we would grow, that we'd be very sensitive to our missionaries and that we would be able to support them. Now, let's go back to this church, forget missionaries for a moment. People that have um, understanding of our church, they're here all the time, they see what's going on, they're involved in ministry, they're, they're kind of behind the scenes, they're in the guts of the belly of the beast of the things that are happening here at International they're the ones that are saying, boy, we need to have another air conditioner here. We need to have the, the Lanai redone. We need to have the parking lot striped. We need to, and the list goes on and on because they're here all the time. Therefore, it's not like we have to make an announcement. We need money for this or we need people to give to this or we need that item brought to us. It's more like, hey, this is our family. We have a need. Let's just go do this thing. And that's ultimately the relationship that Paul had with the Philippian people. He had such a relationship that they assumed that our brother has a tremendous need, and we're going to give to him. And you know what? That's a need that's not going to end. That one need isn't going to satisfy him. He's going to have a, how can I say, a liquid need. It's going to come again and again and again and again, and we're going to try to provide for him. What it was, how much it was, or how frequently it came, I don't know. But later on, listen, listen, later on, you're going to find that Paul's response was, I am full. I am satisfied. I'm complete. My needs are completely met. Now, he's saying that to the Philippians. Now, it goes higher than that. It went to the Philippians, but he really saw it actually that God took care of his needs by, watch this, God taking care of the Philippians because the Philippians were doing so much, God was just pumping more at them. So now you have ultimate body life going on. So I just wanted you to know how precious this is. And that's why I think here it encourages others when we give. Well, the results of giving. Number one under here where we have a broader ministry in the lives of others. When we are giving, there is a broader ministry. When I give, I know where that money's going often. I know how I can help them. I know the joy that it's bringing. And it's a little bit of what I, what Carol and I work for and we get paid for. Then we take what we have that God's given to us, and now I give it to them. And I'm watching them use that need to either fill their soul, fill their body, fill their ministry. And so what's going on with them? I'm having a part in them. It's like an extension of, of Stan and Carol in that person's life, whether it's you who might have a particular need Or our missionaries have a particular... need. Now, stay with me. That's why when this church chooses to embrace missionaries and all their needs, local and global, or global missions, when we do that, we're investing in the lives of all of this. It's like um, we are in Japan. We are working with children, CEF, all over the islands. We are who we are, but we're reaching out to them, and we're investing in the lives of others. We're broadening our ministry. It's not about us four no more, shut the door, we're building an empire. No, we're building the kingdom of God. The second result of giving is we're more like Christ. Now, that may not be specifically in this passage, but it is from Genesis to Revelation. We are like Christ. Look at the verse I put down there because it has the word gave or giving in it. For God so loved the world that he did what, everyone? Gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I think that's such a precious verse. I don't know if this works for you, but this is what works for me. I am never more like Christ than when I'm giving. Since we know that God the Father is a benevolent Father, that He has chosen to give us. He's given us common grace, which is air to breathe and water to drink. He's given us specific grace, spiritual specific grace found in the Son, Jesus Christ. I have this from the Lord, that God is a giver. And if that's who He is, and, watch this, and I'm a partaker of His divine nature, and I've chosen to yield to Him and walk by the influence of the Spirit of God... I will be like him. I will want to give. Common to everybody, whether they're believers or not, and specifically to believers in some way to add value to their life. I'm never more like Christ than when I'm giving, but I want to add one more thought to that. It's kind of a sub-point to this message. Just bear with me. If I'm never more like Christ than I'm giving, part of Christ's giving of his son was also his forgiving. So I'm never more like Christ than when I'm giving, but also when I'm forgiving. Because when he gave his son, he also had to forgive us of our sins. So when I look to that, the result of my giving is I become more and more like Christ. So if you want to be more like Christ, think about what you have. Be as generous as you can be. Don't worry about if you're going to have a hole in the bottom of your pocketbook. Because God will fill that for you. And then at the same time, have a generous spirit of forgiving all those have a special offense against you. You're so much like Christ when you do. So that's reason number one. Reason number two that I should give is that I'm investing in the future when I give. I'm investing in the future when I give. Verse 17 says, not that I seek the gift, he says, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Oh, that is so huge. Here's what he's really saying. He's saying, I'm not like the proverbial missionaries that are always wanting money from you or commodities from you or resources from you. He says, I don't worry about that because I know God will take care of my needs. But when you give to me, it's really going to be blessings or fruit that goes on to your account. Now, that word fruit and account is actually an accounting term that they had in those days that we can transfer into these days. But at the same time, it means more than just it's it's a dollar for dollar. According to the words of Jesus, he says, when you give, I'm going to give you back so many more percentage than what you give. Listen carefully. The Bible clearly says, when I give, I'm going to get back more than what I have given. That's why you often hear the phrase, A Christian who gives with the right motives can never outgive God. So when you give, you can't even match what God will give you back. It'll always be less than what He'll give you back when you give to the Lord. That's the accounting thing. God says, I'll take care of you. So I've heard some people apply it this way. I think there's some truth in this. I want you to ponder it and kick it around in your own family. But here's the thought. If you've got certain bills that you have to pay, and I know as a Christian you want to maintain a reputation to those that are unsaved. But you also want to have a reputation of obedience to God. And so perhaps I'm suggesting that you give to the Lord first. And then you trust God to give that back to you in a percentage of whatever he chooses to give in addition to that to take care of what you have here. It's not all him, none of your other responsibilities. But don't put him at the end of it. I've got everything done. How much do I have left over at the end of this? I don't have. as Oh, I really would like to give, but I just don't have anything to give. I don't believe God's that way. I believe if God resources us, he will also resource for us to give back to him because it's a matter of faith, not finances. So again, I think this is so important when he says, that's not because I want money from you, a gift from you, but I want to have wonderful fruit that will abound to your account. Let me add one other thought. I I don't want to put God in a box where God now has to give at a certain time, a certain amount, a certain way to me because I've given. So I'm keeping the records on God. You know, God has to you know, prove himself to me. No, because, because God says that he will take care of my needs in an accounting fashion. He never said when it would be. So maybe what he's going to do is take care of my basic needs here, but he's going to abundantly supply percentage-wise rewards in heaven for me when I get to the judgment seat of Christ because God is a God who cannot lie. And faith says I trust him with it. So that's a uh, second reason why we may want to give because we're investing in the future. What's going to happen in the future? And number three. My giving is a sacrifice to God. My giving is a sacrifice to God. Indeed, it is. Let me explain what it is here. Notice in verse 18, it says this. Indeed, I have all and abound. Now you think, now how, how could he say that? I thought he was in jail. I thought he had all these problems. Yes, he did, but he says, I have all and abound. In the Greek, it's superabound. I'm overflowingly abounding in everything that I have. I have more than what I need. I am full have you ever gone to someone's house to eat and afterwards you're so full? I, I had a I had a wonderful dinner at someone's house. I won't embarrass this person at all, but I, I ate and problem was with the food was twofold. One, it was really good. And number two, the main dish was right in front of my plate. Right there. And we're like like that. And it was so good. And I'm I am trying I'm not trying to be a stud muffin or nothing. I'm just I just don't want to get fat, you know, I'm blubbery and all that. But it was so good. So I had my little piece, you know, so I didn't look greedy. And nobody's looking. They're talking story, and it's right there. And I'm finished, and I'm hungry because I just had a bowl of bushes and roots for breakfast because Carol's trying to have me eat all this good stuff and all this. And so i I'll take another one, you know. I had that, and then I had a dessert, and then I had some fruitcake. And I'm just, and so now it's like 1.30, quarter to two, something like that. And we're driving back, and we had a lady that was with us. We had to take that lady to dinner that night because she's on an all-night flight. And Carol says, what do you want to have for dinner? Absolutely nothing. I was so full. I thought I was going to explode. Now, that was a real illustration of uncomfortableness because of my gluttony, we'll say. But it was a reminder that when God takes care of our needs, really, if we are powered down and not want to have greeds, God gives us way more than what we need. Watch this and I think you'll agree, way more than we deserve. That's the kind of God that we have, and he'll take care of us. And Paul is saying, my needs are completely met. I received of Epaphroditus the things sent from you. Would you underline the letter S? There was kind of like a cafeteria of stuff, and I, I only wish I knew, well, what the, did he bring food? Did he bring some clothes? Did he bring some stuff to read? What, did he, what was all this stuff that he brought? All I know is that Paul said, whatever it was, I had more than what I needed. Then he says, what you sent to me, Watch it in Scripture, verse 18. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. And then finally he says, well-pleasing to God. Now, when you read this kind of stuff, it sounds kind of like a Hallmark card. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, a pleasing to the man upstairs, you know, all that kind of stuff. You got to know something, folks. This was rich stuff. He was dipping back into the meat of the Old Testament. He was going back into those days when the Jews were reading this. They didn't understand what it meant. Back in those days, when you gave a sacrifice to the Lord, you then took that sacrifice and it was burned. That's where you get the term burnt sacrifice. But if it was a sacrifice that was acceptable to the Lord, then when that smoke would kind of waft up, it would, so to speak, go into the nostrils of God and he would go. Ah. Have you ever been really hungry and you walk down the mall and you get to the food court and it's, oh, it smells so good. Someone's cooking. Mm. Nothing smelled garlic and a little bit of onions. Mm. And your steak is just sizzling there. Oh, it smells so good. And so the Lord is saying that's a sweet smelling savor sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Now. I don't have time to unpack all of that, but if I could reduce it to what kind of sacrifices were well-pleasing. Actually, there's probably three. It couldn't be just anything you sacrificed. It had to be the right kind of animal. Then it not only had to be the right kind of animal. Watch this. It had to be a perfect animal without blemish. And then thirdly, I believe it had to be with someone that had a right heart toward the Lord. And then when all that was given doing it in obedience to the Lord, worshiping of the Lord, a sacrifice of praise through this offering. It was well-pleasing. So here's what he's saying. Just like the Old Testament believers did it then to God and the ones that did it right, it was a sweet-smelling aroma in his nostrils. He's saying to you folks at Philippi, when you gave through Epaphroditus to me, you gave so much, not just stingily, not just the stuff was broken and you didn't want anymore. You gave me the best and the most. I want you to know that was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. So here's what I'd like you to think. When you hear the term worship, most people immediately say it's got to be music. And I would like you to know that it's more than just worship. The case could be make anything we do for God is worship. Specifically in Scripture, you're going to find some things that are worship would be. Our praises to the Lord, an attitude of thanksgiving. When we give our bodies to the Lord, our bodies and mind to God to use in any way he wants, as well as, watch this, watch this, When we give our resources to God properly with a willing heart to Him, no thought of getting anything in return, out of love, I want you to know the Lord is looking at that and He hears our voices and it's like, oh, what a beautiful song of praise. Wow, what an attitude of thanksgiving. It's You helping other people in the body. The Lord is just saying, boy, does he international smells really good, you know? And then when we start giving and all of us start doing that to the degree we all do that. Watch this. We are blessed by that. Then we decide who can we give to and how can we do it to advance his kingdom? The Lord is saying that is worship. And that's why we call it a sacrifice to God. There's only one other thought that you need to keep with this. When you gave the first fruits, when you gave the best animal, you gave the ones that would have the better fruit and the most fruit, you would give the animal that would probably be the the healthiest, that would last the longest.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.